Welcome to TAG Talks, the source for information, news, and best practices for career and workforce professionals. Taking the mystery out of career development for you and your customers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of TAD Talks. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of TAD Talks. This is Tressa Dorsey, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, Aaron Lesson. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, I think, some proper vocabulary. I learned that finally at 49 this weekend when I said, I'm good. Well, I wouldn't say what age they're like. I think you're supposed to say, well, because good is. And I'm like, what? I mean, seriously, I, I, was, I was done. So, I, Tressa, really? officially. <laughs> Walter, do you know? Is it good or well? Well, I am doing very well today. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, listen to that. So proper. So proper. So for those of you that don't recognize his voice, we have with us a very special guest today, Walter Simmons, who is the president and CEO of Employee Prince George's. He is with us today and we can't be happier. He is kind of a big deal. I mean, if you read about Walter, you will know that he has a very long history and workforce for being so young. He's actually had some distinguishing honors as being, from what I read, the youngest, is this right? And Walter, you have to correct me, the youngest individual to be a workforce board director, not just uh, in, I believe, the state of Maryland, but actually one of very few that were, what, under 30 when they received the honor of being workforce board director in the entire country. So, I mean, you're kind of a big deal, Walter, not going to lie. Nah, nah, let's not say that. <laughs> but I do think I always like to talk about millennials because you hear about how, <laughs> how much struggles in the millennial generation. But I do like to tell it. yes, I'm a millennial. I was a workforce director at 27, 28. So there are millennials out there that are, are doing great things and that are changing the world. I, uh, I'm one of, the, one of the smaller ones. That was a distinction that I like because it, it lets people know that any generation can bring something to the table. Yeah, you're you're basically breaking down the stereotypes there, right? It, like not everybody's just uh, hanging in their mom's basement waiting to to get their paycheck for not doing a whole lot. I mean, isn't that kind of what we always like? Millennials are kind of this generation that feels like everything should just come to them real nice and easy. Isn't that the the stereotype? Yeah, I think that's a stereotype. I think when that stereotype is given, they they leave out a couple of things like you know, <laughs> the Great Recession, college inflation, housing inflation. But, you know, the minimum wage hasn't changed in 30 years. If you leave out those things that a lot of baby boomers who are in Congress, still in Congress, decided that they would, you know, increase college by a thousand percent, but keep the same minimum wage and cause the Great Recession and more millennials died in war than any other generation. Yeah, if you leave those things out, yeah, definitely. That's all we... we just, yeah. <laughs> You, know, you and the details, you know, Walter, gosh. I details, mean, God, details, man. Wow, what are those? Well, you right? know, I used to hate being in conferences and they're like, you know, millennials need help in workforce development. You know, millennials really struggle and us workforce drivers need to help millennials. And they're like, Walter, what do you think? And I'd be like, yeah, millennials are terrible. I don't know any good millennial that could help with this, except the eight millennials that are in this room. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, just so, the, just those eight, though, right? <laughs> you know what? Though, that, there's only eight. There's only eight. 
I love the vibe. I like it. It's going to be casual because I mean, if anybody knows us three and the adventures we've been on across the United States, they would know that we really do enjoy one another's company and we we have a lot of fun. So I, I like the light vibe, but it, it does make me really, I think, want to ask, a, a, I wouldn't say a serious question. I want you to continue on with the millennial thought and, and, and possibly even broaden it out a little. But what do people need, do you think, in this you mentioned the recession in 08, the numbers that we've had coming out of the pandemic were even worse than that. And we're still at a point like, you know, that's kind of why we're even doing this uh, virtually, this this podcast, because we're not together. So what are some of the resiliency techniques do you think that people could utilize or buy into or look at maybe growing a certain skill set right now to traverse this time? What do you think? Well, I think we have to look at it based on on what lens you're looking through. I always tell people when we're when we're teaching youth, youth see life through the lens that we create, right? So when we understand that lens, I just did I just was in Charleston with the Southeastern Chamber of Commerce at a, a summit and they asked the same question. What do you, what do we need to do to transition? Like I said if you're looking at it from a business side or actually a workforce development employer, accountability. Everything's going to be virtual. How do you manage? How do you lead a team? Everything's going to be based on that of that leader to have an accountable system uh, when you're talking about your HR processes. So what does the accountability look like? If you're looking at it from a parent to like a student or youth, we're really going to have to work with our young adults, our children, our teenagers, even college students on time management. The only way to be successful during a, a virtual learning environment is to really understand time management. I'm I'm consistently hearing teachers say they send kids on a 15-minute break and they send 30 kids in the classroom and then 45 minutes later they have 17 kids in the class. We've never had an environment where kids had to really manage and come to class at a young age. Normally you walk out the recess, they blow a whistle, you come back. Children today are going to have to learn time management better than any other generation before them. For a lot of our job seekers, It's the ability to sell yourself virtually. How do you talk about your image, your brand, without being able to, you know, we talk to you, it's like, oh, shake shake someone's hand and, you know, crease to crease and look people in the eye and how do you present? All of that's really gone now, right? You all don't know what I have on. You can't shake my hand. You can't look at somebody's eyes, really, if you got four people on a Zoom. We're really going to have to learn how to communicate virtually and sell ourselves virtually. If I was a job seeker, I would literally get on Facebook Live and use, we have to use the tools that we have. I'd get on Facebook Live and get comfortable talking into Facebook with my timeline and really practice on how how can I engage with that video camera that you can't see. Yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned that. So one of the the questions that I was thinking about when we when we got onto this. It, you're right. Virtually, it's going to be hard to connect. Time management is is an interesting thing. I think there's also kind of this call to instructors, facilitators, teachers, professors to also step up on their side of it as well. I will share this. So my nephew's 20 years old and he's in in college, and I had the privilege of listening to one of his Zoom classes by his accounting instructor. I actually understand accounting. You know, I'm not great at it. Obviously, I'm not a CPA, but I understand it. And what I what I heard was a lot of talking in a monotone voice, you know, tone. It was very fast. She wasn't using any visual aids. She didn't explain things. 
when he was done, looked at him and said, I'm going to tell you right now that if I didn't understand where some of these numbers came from to begin with, because of my own knowledge, I would have no idea how to do anything in that class right now based on that instruction. And that's not a bag on her. She's probably great at what she does, maybe in the environment of being face-to-face, right? But now she's got to, like you said, engage kids and then they need to be engaged back, right? So I think that, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this or maybe you have a different thought, It's up to all of us now to kind of embrace this idea that this is going to be the way we're going to be interacting for a while. And how do we show up and do that in a way that where we're not diluting the value, either the instruction, the service delivery or the learning experience? I disagree with you, Tressa. I think you're giving that instructor too much credit. And I'm (laughs) going to go to something that you talk about. Uh, that you and I have talked about, PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. You know, you've always talked about boring presentations. I know you're, you're very conscious of your PowerPoints and your presentations. They're always good. Maybe, Aaron, to your other question, that's a skill that maybe how, how we want it to perfect the PowerPoint. You shouldn't have a whole bunch of words. You need to engage your listeners at a presentation. You need to make sure your topics are engaging. You have to make sure your pitch is engaging. Sometimes you got to jump out at people, and then sometimes you got you to bring it back in. Those things that we used to only talk about in the sense of a PowerPoint or a presentation are actually how you're going to have to communicate in everything. Staff meetings, you know, those that, that you know, that's something I think you're giving too much credit. I think we all have to identify the new market. And in this new market, this new world, the old of how we would silo, how we engage on a presentation is really probably how we should engage in every meeting. And especially in a classroom setting that teachers, instructors, workforce facilitators and that are teaching at virtual American job centers, every single call, they should really approach it like they were doing a PowerPoint presentation inside of a conference. You know what? That's excellent. I think at the end of last week, I'm like, you know, we're always talking about doing professional development. We push that with those that we serve, but then we do take that seriously ourselves. And I'm like, it's been a while since I've challenged myself. Am I presenting the way I should on a Zoom call or a webinar? You just nailed it. What they said is techniques they were saying are essentially your voice inflection. Your PowerPoint is engaging. Do you ask questions of your audience? Do you make them participate? There were a lot of things I'll just have to say that Tress and I are doing pretty well where we're like, okay, so no one wants to sit there and listen and just stare at a face. I mean, if we're having a conversation in real life, we don't just stare at one another. It's awkward. On a Zoom call, if you don't have anything or it's not moving, all of a sudden, what you end up with is honestly just, I think, a dead audience. So let me ask you this. I want to I want to shift gears because it was something that I actually really wanted your input on. So about five years ago, everybody, you know, it might have been longer now, but about five years ago, we'll say everybody did their strategic plans, right? Everybody did their strategic plans. We all based our sectors on the LMI, LMI, right? Because everybody talks about LMI. And people who listen to this podcast, all four of them know that I am not a huge fan of LMI. I've never, I've never believed it was as helpful in serving the job seeker in that moment as it probably was in creating the strategic plans. But with that being said, what is your thought now on the idea that we created sector strategies based on labor market information and other things on an economy that no longer exists. So 
how does that change what we're doing in a demand-driven system where we're trying to match the talent pipeline with the demand of, you know, the supply chain and the demand? So how does it, how did it, at least for Prince George's County, what, what does that look like? And, and is it different? And what are you doing to kind of uh, pivot and, and make those changes in real time? All right, so I'm going to start this by saying that the workforce development system is broken. And the reason Don't hold why, back, Walter. Tell us how you really the, feel. No, I don't know. I'm be, I can only be honest. You know, you, you, you two know me. The, the workforce development system is broken. We broke it. We as in workforce development professionals, I broke it. I helped break it. Congress not really knowing what we do broke it. States not understanding what local workforce boards did increasingly broke it. And then there's, there's stubborn uh, WIA, JTPA. You know, if we want to go back, uh, and I joke with my mom all the time, who was an old school workforce person, and, and you know, I said, hey, you, you guys have to throw it out. Get rid of it. So, and the reason why I say that is because, like you said, when you say LMI, people think labor market information. I just had a conversation with our business services staff, and I said, LMI is data. How you use it is labor market intelligence. We just take LMI, that's the data on the website. We put it on our local plan. We put it on our website and we walk away. No, the reason why your workforce board is 51% business, the reason why you have sector strategies is because you take that data and you're supposed to have conversations with your customer, which is the business, and to see what does this look like locally? What goes into these data sets? And that's the intelligence piece. But because we're so broke and we're just on this record, and we're thinking about what we always did. We don't use the intelligence. So I say, if you use intelligence, you really can look at what was done. And yes, everything has changed, but what and how it's changed will determine what you do. And, and the economies have changed. And as you look at intelligence and looking at locally, some occupations are growing that weren't going to grow. You're right. Some occupations have changed. So you need to go back to your train providers and change what competencies are given. So I really think it's a conversation, but it's too many people, Trusted, that are going to look at your question and look at that whole scenario and do what they always did, right? And it was wrong when they did it. It's definitely wrong now. I would say every workforce professional, Trusted said four, is probably like 4,000. Use labor market intelligence. Really dive into that. That's something to look at. Labor market information is only data. Labor market intelligence is what you do with it. I actually really appreciate that thought and your candor, because I think that we all talk about it kind of on the side, right? We, we can always talk about some of the challenges that we have as, you know, when you look at the system. I, I agree with you that the big component here, and I think it always has been, and I think those highly successful organizations and highly effective boards are the ones that are doing what you said, which is that they look at, okay, this is the information, but then they're also engaged with their business community enough to ask what's really happening, not what projections are. I mean, you know, you look at something like, for instance, there are a lot of people out there who didn't have in one of their targeted sectors, anything related to the IT industry. So they weren't training anybody in IT. Well, now all of a sudden, whether or not you're a small business, medium-sized enterprise, whatever it is, everybody is going to see an increase in IT-related jobs. That may not be your primary product or service, but everybody's going to need that person who understands how to hold a conference meeting, You know how to use the technology, how to use virtual services. You know, you talked about and you kind of led into it, the management of their own staff, right? The management of their own team. So with that being said, as a follow-up question, what do we do now to address a post-COVID economy? 
what do you see at least, or what have you guys seen there in Prince George's County? And what have you done? Like, maybe if you have like one or two strategies, like very specific things that, that if, if I'm listening to this and I'm, and I'm a workforce board director, maybe one or two specific things that you guys have been able to do to start, I don't want to say changing, but addressing the challenges that the businesses have come to you with right here, right now to make sure that they're still around post-pandemic. You know, what, what is it that you're doing from a business services and from the, the career services side to make sure that you're meeting the demand now and then also looking at their future and making sure that they're going to be around come 2021? Everything that you do in workforce development should be like running a business. And, you know, Tressa and Aaron, you teach this in your business services training. There's a difference between job development and business services. That is going to come alive right now in COVID because a job developer can't do anything during COVID uh, in this economy. Business services, one, you should always do survey your customer. And when you talk about your product, your workforce development is a product. Take it back to business, the four Ps, product, price, placement, promotion. So what is this product? And then what does this product need to look like? So when you say as business services, you're going to have to engage with your customer. Everybody's receiving a lot of war notices or they have been. What do you do when you engage a war notice? We have been engaging with businesses during the war notice and really helping them with the layoff. A lot of times workforce development doesn't really help people. They might do a rapid response to help the people who are laid off getting employed, but that's a service for the employee. What are you doing with the business? So we've been providing services with businesses related to the, to the actual layoff on what resources they're providing, what is the information they're giving in their packets, how they plan on engaging those people, how many people do they think, what are the timelines on bringing people back, also letting them know the, the laws that have taken place. Helping with the business on during the layoff, which there isn't really an outcome to that, it does help you that when that business reopens, who do you think they come to first? They come to us because we did that. Second thing to look at is who is your organization? There was a lot of COVID money that was released. A lot of workforce professionals said, well, we don't, we don't do anything. There's no jobs. Employee Prince George's, we turned into an emergency response organization where we knew we were getting all these layoffs. We were seeing it on the news. We were seeing the war notices. We actually, as a nonprofit, started raising money to provide $200 visa cards to give to people as they were in between. I worked at a state agency before. I knew that unemployment was not going to be smooth. So we said, hey, this is the supportive service we can provide you in between your last paycheck and your first unemployment insurance benefit. Those two efforts, right, that are new, successful people can identify the opportunity. Failures can tell you every time when something happened to them. We identified the opportunity. What happened is we identified about over 100 new businesses that can join our customers. We surveyed. We we found out what they were looking for. We had over 4,000 applications come into our relief fund, all dislocated workers. Now you see the correlation, what we owe them. So now we have hundreds of new businesses and existing businesses. We have 4,000 unemployed people that are now dislocated workers. We basically created a way to match them together. Now that we're going into the recovery portion, we've moved past the response. We can now help with rapid reemployment reconnection. And then we also partnered with Career Team to open our virtual platform where we've been offering, providing weekly virtual AJC services, case management services, and we have virtual trainings online. So I think moving virtual, we adopted that, but also that those pre-elements of the business services versus job development, helping people with the layoff, and then doing emergency response and now having 4,000 dislocated workers in our pipeline uh, has really helped us. 
I want to, I want to recap that because if you're listening, I watched the whole, the emergency response you guys did, and it's just pretty awesome, but how strategic also to say, okay, we are providing one, a valuable service to real people in need. And I know with 4,000 applicants, that's a huge turnout. It's 4,000 families, but the opposite from an organization, you're like, well, now I have access to 4,000 new people that will be looking for work when things get going again or now. And so if you're out there listening to this, and you're like, well, we're having trouble getting people in. Think strategically. I know um, PGC did not do this to just fill their roles of dislocated workers, but they were also had the foresight to say, look it, we're going to help people. And you know what? We're in this long term also to help the organization and the businesses we serve. So you're sitting there listening to this and you're like, well, how do you get people in? Well, what a great way, a $200 Visa card, for example. And I know there's work to go with that and and how it's done. I get that for sure. 4,000 people. I mean, if you're, you're, if you're out there, you're like, what I wouldn't give to have 100 dislocated workers walk through my door that might be eligible and to have this access. So I think there's multiple layers there where if you're listening to this and trying to apply it to your area, you might have different faces on the dislocated worker side and you might have different businesses with names. But the truth is there are ways when you step back, it's like, Walter, what you said with labor market intelligence, when you don't say, well, LMI is labor market information, and that's that's how we think about it. But even the change in term is what you're saying is you're looking at things differently and it's purposeful. And the idea that we're in now is flat out. What are you going to do? And I'm not talking about PGC because I think you guys are like on the forefront of this. But if you're listening to this, what are you going to do to look outside? And I'm just encourage everybody bring in the team, not two people have to determine how to make this, this ship go. Okay. And so Walter, what do you think about that? Like, I, I know you're all about your team engagement. How much have you relied on the team to do these things and get through this time period? I don't know. You tell me every time somebody comes to me, Well, Walter, what can we, I don't know, you tell me. I want my team to come up with ideas on how to implement, even on our budget development process. I've always said, I treat it like I'm a grantor. I'm telling you what money's available, what it's for. I give it to our chiefs and our directors to figure out where to allocate it to. The directors are giving it to the managers of how to spend it. And the frontline staff are telling them where it should be spent in the most effective ways Based on, based on what job seekers and businesses are telling them. And that's how you really develop buy-in and investment because the, what ends up being spit out, a career consultant can say, that's exactly what I told my boss we needed. And so they're vested in that process. But Aaron, to your point as well, a lot of people were saying, oh, I'm gonna have to lay off my staff. How can we charge them to WIOA? And I don't have any work to do. We knew going in that eventually there's gonna be a lot of unemployed people. We knew that outreach is COVID. We weren't going to do our traditional outreach because what workforce entity, you know, has commercials and buses. Uh, We don't have marketing money. So using that and relief fund was a way to consistently engage and give back to our community. But it was also a way to develop a pool with our outreach team to keep them busy and be able to effectively do their job in a new environment. And Every workforce professional knows what's the most painful thing in a career consultant's life? Enrollment, eligibility documents. So the relief fund mirrored the eligibility documents from WIOA. So not only were we able to keep our staff employed, because as a leader, 
my job is to make sure that every other Wednesday, my staff receive a paycheck. They have a mortgage. Their mortgage is my responsibility because they're showing up to work every day. They need to get that paycheck. So that's something that I don't think people realize from leaders. So we keeping them employed, keeping a paycheck. Two, how do we consistently do outreach and engagement when the time when you can't physically do it? You engage through your relief fund. Three, how do we help with eligibility? You could use the same eligibility documents. And then four, when people want to go back to work and we need to do rapid rehire, we don't want to have to go find people or rely on unemployment and virtual one stops. You have all of that right there. And then being able to add that into a virtual platform means that they can actually use that for whatever they need over 4,000 free courses. So yeah, Aaron, leaders have to look at the end result and work backwards. Yeah, that's brilliant. I've told a lot of people about it because I've watched it transpire. But what I didn't understand, because we haven't talked in a while, you're keeping your people working. They're really working like you're getting some hot prospects. So when things can switch over, you're 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 ready to go. It's just brilliant. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Team EPG. I'm the talking face. They really do all the work. They've done a magnificent job. I get a lot of credit for things, but nothing happens without our, our Jeffrey Swillies, our Jamie Gunnells, our Miss Edna's. You know, there's, there's some people there that you all know that are rock stars. Mr. Goodson, mm-hmm. they were out here on the front line mm-hmm. when people were worried about dying from COVID. And they're like, how can we help our community? You can't teach that. I'm blessed to, to work with a group of people that are dedicated. Uh, that's why when we say we are EPG and it's a family, we really believe it. We did have to do some layoffs, but... You know, that's something that a lot of people, I think eventually we might need to have a conversation. What is a wheel of service, a business services for the mental health piece of, of managers and leaders? That's a big toll on people, but we really yeah. need to try to keep paychecks coming in. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm not willing to just say, oh, we're closed. I can't pay you. There's no work to be done. The mortgage is still due. We can't be that lazy. I can't be that lazy. So these are things that we really have to talk about. But again, All of these are business services. Tressa, we need to scream it. Stop (laughs) doing job development and do business services. All of these are business services that for some reason we don't think about. I'm going to say two things here. I think it's important. One is that the reason why we don't use the term job developer anymore in most areas is because when, when we changed and we did the legislation, it was about the things that you're talking about. We were, we were trying to engage businesses as our, as our kind of the front of the house customer. You know, without them, we don't have any place to put our job seekers. We, we rely upon them in everything that we do. And so job development is not really a thing. I mean, you can't really develop a job. You can develop a relationship with a business who might then have openings for jobs, <laughs> but you don't develop the job, right? And, and I just want to say, and Walter, you know, we've been fortunate to work with your team, um, you and, and a lot of your team members in, in one capacity or another. And one of the things that we joke, uh, lovingly joke around with you about a lot, you know, you're a big idea guy. You'll have an idea and you look at your team around you and say, here was my idea. Now your job is to execute that. I think that that's wonderful, but it's only wonderful because you give them the room to do that. You give them the support, the encouragement, and the trust 
that they need to actually go out and execute that idea versus people will say, I've got this big idea, now go do it. And then don't really trust them to do it and micromanage it or worse, they just say it and never check back on the result. And so your leadership style, I think, is one that could be looked to as definitely a best practice, I think, for for our industry, which also as we wrap up this podcast, makes me happy that you were recently elected to the National Association of Workforce Development Professionals Board. You are representing the, the good state of Maryland, and we get to work together now on a, on a different level, which is cool. You know, it, it's always nice. I feel like, you know, over the years, our relationship, it just continues to evolve. And now we get to work in a different capacity. But I, for one, am really looking forward to that kind of leadership style being used in the National Association. I, I think that that's exactly what we need is a lot more of that forward thinking, a lot more of this, really the innovative piece of how do we use what we have to do what we what we said we were going to do or what people think we should be doing. And I, and I think that's part of that survey piece that you were talking about. What do you really need versus what I think you need? Vastly different sometimes. But I just want to acknowledge that if you aren't following Employee Prince George's uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook and all that, and you're listening to this, you should, because if you're going to get good ideas about how to work within the WIOA guidelines to serve both the job seeker and the business customer and, and get creative about the way that you do that while we're still in many places under some limited shelter in place orders, or at least some shelter, you know, shuttered businesses, things like that. Follow EPG's page because I think you can get some really good ideas and if you know out of it. And then I think the other thing too, don't be afraid to do something even if it fails. Don't be afraid to do something just because nobody's ever done it before you, right? It, it's like you won't know sometimes, you know, be be strategic about it, but don't be so fearful that it's not gonna work out that you don't, you know, on some level take that risk. Cause I do think that one of your styles or one of your characteristics in your leadership is that you are willing to risk. And and I don't think a lot of people are willing to risk, especially when they're kind of being governed on a county level. And there's a lot of uh, management strings and boards that are very, I would say, restrictive in, in some ways, right? But, but the risk, I think, without the risk, you're not going to get what you're seeing now, which is in another six months, that reward will come, right? I mean, you're going to see this. You guys have set yourself up strategically to be in the best possible position when everything does start to come back online fully and we get through where we are now. I mean, we're not going to know what it looks like exactly, but you've set yourself up. If you're a golfer, you know, it's like you kind of laid yourself up right there in front of the green for a nice little chip on, you know, it's like you didn't try to overshoot it, but you laid yourself up nicely. In it. And I think that's exactly what other people should be thinking about is how, how to do that, you know, how to get themselves to that point. So thank you for, for all of that. No, thank you. And that's what we really have to define leadership. I think the National Association of Workforce Development Professionals is doing a great job with the uh, certified workforce development professional competencies. But mm -hmm. I think as local leaders, as trainers like you all, who really can, can dive deeper in those areas and really look at that. You have to fall forward. You know this, right? Every single thing that we do today was crazy at some point in time was something crazy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have this computer in my house. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy, Bill Gates. Oh, you know, I'm having a mobile telephone. No, we don't do that. Oh, I'm going to talk into this computer and it's going to go out to cell phones. And I tell our team all the time, it's going to be frustrated, frustrating. It's going to be hard because you're doing some things that aren't, there's, there's no guidebook, right? And you have to be okay with fault failing and doing that and know that it will happen. But in return, 
that return on investment is great. Tressa, you know, you helped us write some grants a couple of years ago that a couple of grants we never even heard back from. But to give you an idea, 2016, 2017, we wrote for AmeriCorps, right? You remember oh, that? that? I do. That's right. Oh, yeah. That was you texted me about that the other day. You're like, oh, hey. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I yeah. forgot. Three years later, they responded to us, right? And that's something where we were trying to figure it out. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, you miss every shot you don't take. We shot, we shot it. We didn't know what happened. <laughs> Three years later, they called us back and said, let's do this. If we wouldn't have ever shot that shot, I wouldn't be talking with the AmeriCorps uh, Regional National Office right now. And so all our workforce professionals, Aaron, labor market intelligence, look at the possibilities, look at the opportunities and figure out how to get there. And, and, and I'll say this to your piece, Tressa, I always say, O for opportunity. There's a little O opportunity, which you can do right now. That's your low-hanging fruit. There's the medium O, which you might need to get a grant for or something. Big O is the $10 million project or the new facility. But you have to work your way up to that. You didn't just jump out here and start a company. You all just didn't jump up here, Aaron, doing trainings across the country. Right. Probably started in an office with like six people in it. Three people <laughs> oh, in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, and, and, and sometimes I, I just think in, in, in our field of work or in business and workforce development, we don't think that we have to work our way up. We're always looking for this established thing, and it's, it's not always there. And then lastly, call me. Walter Simmons, you know, LinkedIn, social media, employee Prince George's, you're not stealing an idea. We, we're going <laughs> re, to repurpose and borrow. The relief fund actually came from another similar project that Las Vegas did. And oh. I literally saw them on the news and I called the workforce professional. They're like, yeah, can we talk? Walter, which was it? Which Las Vegas was? Was it South Las Vegas, uh, South Jaime S- Cruz and all of them? Yeah, Jaime. We so- got on a, we got <laughs> on a conference call. Crew. Shout them out. We got on a call and most, most people don't realize workforce professionals, we're like the nicest people. If you've ever been to a conference, you know how much fun we have. We're a good time. Exactly. But <laughs> we're always willing to share. So I, I reached out to Jaime. He didn't know who I was. We got a, on a call with his whole team. Yeah. And what they were doing wasn't what we wanted. But I told our team, I said, that's something similar to what we want to do. So we did it. Kirk Murray, my colleague, he's also on the board, mm-hmm. who I think is a transformative leader I've learned so much from. He's doing a gift card now. So I've talked with people in Georgia, Florida. You can't be afraid to see like, oh, they're doing this great thing. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to copy it. I want to <laughs> let call them and say, hey, you're doing this great thing. How can I do it in my area? I don't think we utilize that. And that's why I nod up if you're easy plug, no shame, join the National Association of Workforce Development Professionals. Also, if you're a board director, join the National Association of Workforce Boards to use those best practices in, in your local area. Yeah, great. 100% agree with you. So once again, at the end of the day, it all comes down to networking and, and who you know and, and the relationship building, right? So Aaron and I talk about that quite a bit in every single one of our trainings. And I think you just proved our point for us. So with that being said, um, Walter has encouraged you to reach out to him directly. You can find him on LinkedIn and Facebook and everywhere else, Employee Prince George's. Walter, I would like to thank you for, I know how busy you always are. So I appreciate the fact that you have taken so much time out of 
of your day to day to sit and uh, talk with us even even before this. I, it was just really nice catching up with you. So we will be in touch uh, soon. And I actually have some of your folks coming up in a, my classes. So I'll, I'll just let them know, you know, don't you know, I, I know your boss. So don't give me a hard time. <laughs> well, listen, I want to say thank you. T.A.D. Grants, Tressa, Aaron. We've we've had the pleasure of knowing each other for a long time. You all do phenomenal work. You are assets. You are, I'll say it. You are, you two are the best in workforce development. And I said, as Terrence said, I send people to you all. You've done trainings for our team. You've done mm-hmm. trainings for the state of Maryland. If right. you're listeners, this isn't, and I work with a lot of people. There's a lot of good, you know, facilitators. But anytime I have an ID on something, I call these two. And, and I want to say thank you. Your consummate professionals, your allies. You're not a, just about a dollar. You're like, how can I help? There's been a many times when I've talked to both of y'all without charging anything and, and just how wonderful you are as colleagues, professionals. Really, thank you for what you do and what you give back to communities across the country. Oh, yeah. thank you. Well, yeah. that was, I was like, that's so touching. No, I really I really um, appreciate it. It really that is. Aaron and I both have the utmost respect for you as as a leader and as a colleague and as a friend. And, and we feel lucky enough to be able to call you that. So thank you again for your time. And if anybody wants to get a hold of Walter, they can do so via social media because he's all over it. If you want to get a hold of us, you know to reach us at tadgrants.com. You can look at any upcoming courses that we have coming up. And if you want to reach out, we have a live chat feature. You can do that anytime, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Aaron, do you have any last words? No, man, that was great. Very humbling to hear those things because you know what? When you meet like-minded people and you want to make a difference and you believe in a cause, some people will do the talk and some people will try to put on the their airs about it. But over time and ideas and energy, what you heard today from Walter, and if you're listening to this, you you know, Tress and I, it, it's really an honor. I'm a little bit speechless. And plus, Tress, you're not very nice to me normally. So to hear <laughs> some nice well, words, I mean, you know. I mean, yeah, I can't be mean to you all the time. No tears, no tears. All right. Besides, <laughs> yeah. I'm coming out to see you soon, so I can't be too mean to you, you know, before I before I see you again. That's kind yeah, of sure. strategic, really. For sure. All right. Well, gentlemen, right. thank Tough, you. Toughen up, Aaron. Yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Seriously. Well, until next time, this has been Tad Talks.